You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right. Good morning, church. It's great to be together with you guys this morning. I'm so excited uh, to be here on the West Side. Uh, this is my first time back here. Uh, for those of you who don't know, me and my wife served here in the youth ministry for many years. I went to Santa, Mon- I got to- I went to Santa Monica College. I went to UCLA. Um, can we all just maybe take a moment of silence for our UCLA football program? That was not a fun situation last night. I'm serious. Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> But I, uh, you know, we love the West Side. You know, Marina and I, uh, we dated up here. We got engaged up here. We got married up here. We had our first two children up here. Uh, we say first two children. You're like, what? How many kids do you have? Well, I'll, I'll share about that soon. Um, anyway, we just, we're so thankful. This is my first time actually back here in this facility, uh, probably since we moved, which was about over four years ago. Uh, so to me, I'm like taking it all in, like, wow, black chairs, blue chairs, like two sex. This, it's totally different uh, from when we were used to be here. And I'm just so thankful for the opportunity. I'm so thankful uh, uh, Chaz uh, invited me to come up and speak uh, for you guys today. And uh, very grateful for the opportunity, very humbled by the opportunity to be able to share uh, some of these thoughts and some of my heart with you. But we love the West Side. We definitely love uh, the West Side. Um, it's 100 degrees out today, so I decided to wear my Puerto Rican guayabera. I hope you're okay with that. I don't know if you guys are like dress up for church kind of people, but anyway, I was like, you know, it's going to be hot. So, uh, But I am excited to be here, and I want to bring you some greetings from your sister church, the Greater Long Beach Church, which is where Marina and I serve, and we uh, lead that uh, church there in Long Beach. You know, it's funny moving to Long Beach. It's only 35, 40 minutes away on, down the freeway, but it feels like a whole different world. It honestly does. And so even the fact that I haven't been back to this facility in four years, it's like, really, that long? Um, but because it just feels like you're just kind of in your own world in Long Beach. And uh, even when you're living up here on the west side, you're kind of like in your own world on the west side. And so I do want to bring some greetings from there. We're so thankful to be able to serve there in Long Beach. Uh, we miss the west side, but we love serving the church in Long Beach. It's a great, uh, great ministry. Um, and I want to share a quick story. Can I just brag about Long Beach real quick? I just want to share a quick story. Hopefully it'll make, maybe get you, give you some ideas and stuff. But anyway, last year, uh, we, ha- we have a great friendship and partnership with our, another region, the L.A. church called the Turning Point Church. And me and uh, Jay Minor, who's the, one of the ministers there, one, our best friends. And so we're talking and he's sharing with me this thing that they do called Advent Conspiracy, where during Christmas time, they take up a collection and uh, they basically take up a collection to help build clean water wells around the world. Uh, during Christmas time, especially for ki- you know, get the kids involved. And so I was like, man, you know what? My kids, all they care about at Christmas time is their gift. That's all they want. All they want is their gift. When are we going to open the gift? When are we going to open the gifts? And so this past year, I said, you know, we're going to change Christmas in our family. I said, I'm not going to change it for the church, but we'll change it for our family. In my family... Each kid gets, gets to pick three gifts. They have to ask Santa Claus for three gifts. Don't judge me. We believe in Santa. We're good. Uh, we'll, work th- we'll work that out eventually, you know. Uh, but every kid gets three gifts from Santa. And I said, okay, girls, um, here's what we're going to do. 
So you get three gifts, but you have to give one of one of those gifts up, and whatever that whatever Santa would have used to get you that gift, he's going to use it to give money to build a clean water well. And so the girls were like, I mean, it took us. It was a shock, uh, obviously, but they got really excited about it. Uh, my oldest daughter, Isabella, was like, yes, clean water, awesome. I mean, she just, she got really excited. And so I shared this with the church. It was incredible. I shared this with the church, and we got a lot of families involved wanting to t- take up a collection during Christmas time, give up a gift, and use whatever you would buy, money that you would buy that gift with, uh, gift, you use that and give it to clean water wells, and we collected over $6,000, okay? So... Wait, we're not done yet. This is awesome. It's so cool. Uh, so Jay calls me up and he said, listen, I, um, we have this church in, in, in Nicaragua uh, in a small town called Malpaisillo. And Malpaisillo, uh, Managua is the capital city of Nicaragua and Malpaisillo is one of the small towns. And a couple moved there several years ago from Costa Rica. They're from Malpaisillo. They just moved there because they had a passion to share the gospel with their family. And they moved back home. And a few years later, there's a church now of 60 disciples in Malpaisillo, just with this one couple moving there. That's incredible in itself. So he said, but here's the situation. They don't, they don't have access to clean water. Um, a lot of there's a lot of kidney disease in that town uh, because people drink polluted water all the time. Can we partner together to build a well? I'm like, yes, let's do it. Now, so what happens? We sent all this money down there. They were able to get companies and contractors to build basically water purifying tanks uh, that basically get water from the ground, purify the water, and then access it to. The people and this past weekend is so cool. We were able to send one of our campus uh, interns, DK Isenekwe, together with Jay Miner, down to Malpaisillo, and they were able to see the whole project uh, finalized and get pictures and a video and all this stuff. Now, while this is all happening, a church in Charleston, South Carolina, is raising up money to uh, give to the to this town there to build a medical clinic. As they're building this medical clinic, they realize this is not going to function well unless we have access to clean water. Do you see what I'm saying? We're doing this over here. They're doing this over here. We had no idea this was happening. And you can call it coincidence or random occurrence, but I say that's God. At just a random moment, God just pulling resources together to help a small uh, town church in Central America have access to clean water, have medical clinic, and they also have, they were able to open a church building and have their own facility now, and, you know, 60, 70 disciples, kids growing up in that town. Just an incredible thing that God did. And so I'm just so proud of the church. I'm so proud of the Greater Long Beach Church, but so proud of our church overall and how we want to take care of people. And uh, I love seeing that video, Hope Worldwide, everybody going out there to serve in Louisiana and uh, so excited uh, about being a part of that story. So anyway, I just wanted to share about that because it's just a cool thing and uh, it may be something you may want to consider. Advent conspiracy during Christmas time, doing something uh, to serve uh, those with, with uh, low, with not access, no access to clean water. So um, let's get in the Bible. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, okay. I, um, 
I'm really excited about sharing this lesson with you guys. It's something that I've been kind of working on um, in the past few years in terms of my perspective of who God is. I grew up in the church, and I think even as a Christian, uh, I became a Christian when I was 14, uh, as a teenager, and I think even as a Christian, becoming a Christian, growing up in the high school ministry and the campus ministry, um, as a single adult, as a married man, as a father, all, all that through that time, God sort of reveals his, himself to us in different ways. And I think what, what, what I've seen is I've learned more about God. I feel like I've learned more about God and who he is in the past couple years than in all the previous years before that. Um, and you're probably like, well, you're a preacher. I hope so. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, but, but I feel like there's some stuff that I'm, uh, that I'm finally in the past probably five, six years understanding about God in a deeper way, and He's making more sense to me. See, here's the thing. I think a lot of us feel, uh, can feel this way sometimes. Let's watch this little clip here. So Brother Bruce here has a, has a little temper tantrum, right? And, um, you know, the reality is, have you ever had a day like that where just everything sort of goes wrong? And you're just like, God, what happened? Where were you? I mean, I went to church today. Come on. Like, give me a little something here. Um, I mean, I, I felt this way just coming here this morning. Marina and I are doing this 30-day detox protein shake thing. I messed up the shake, and it's disgusting, and I'm drinking it, you know. Um, we're in a hurry trying to get two of our kids into the van to get out. I close the door, lock myself out of the house. I'm like, God, I'm literally going to be preaching your word. And now I'm locked out of the house trying to crawl through the window to get the key. I mean, just it, this was th- just this morning. You ever had a day like that? It just kind of starts off that way. You ever look at your life and wonder, man, I'm doing all these things, or I'm trying really hard, and yet God, just where is He? 
And there are times where maybe, it not, maybe it's not you personally, but maybe you're looking at our world in our society. And you look at pockets of the world or even our own country. And you realize, you think, where is he? What's going on? Why is this happening? And sometimes I think our relationship with God and our view of God, our perspective of God, can become like Mr. Bruce over here, Bruce Almighty. You guys have seen this movie, right? It becomes like that. Well, he's just a, you know, like a kid with a magnifying glass just trying to, like, burn us. Or he's just irrelevant or he's distant. All he cares about is us following the rules. He's uninvolved. I can never please him. This is... Growing up, I feel like this was, I always felt God was out to get me. Not in a good way, in a more like, he's over my shoulder. What are you doing? This was my, um, just my perspective of God. Now, I, I love God. I, I, I want to follow God. I believe in his word. I believe, you know, I know he's the way to go, but there was always this, you know, am I, am I, am I going to mess up? Kind of paranoia. And the reality, as we find in Scripture, is that God is completely different from what you and I may even think. During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation. Other religions had different versions of God's appearing in human form. Resurrection. Again, other religions had accounts of return from the death. The debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. What's the rumpus about, he asked, and heard in reply what his colleagues were discussing, that, that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. Lewis responded, oh, that's easy, it's grace. After some discussion, the conferees had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant and Muslim code of law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. I love this anecdote because this, this is reality that we find in Scripture over and over again. Let's pray as we open God's Word. Father, help us to see what you want us to see this morning. Help us to uh, open our hearts, open our minds, to see, open our eyes to see what you want us to see, to learn what you want us to learn, to leave here encouraged and inspired by your Word. We don't deserve you. And yet you still love, you still forgive, you still have poured out your grace for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the whole Old Testament, you see time and time again, these Israelites messing up, messing up, and God forgiving them. They mess up, they disobey, and God forgives them. They mess up and disobey, and God forgives them. And at times you can read the Old Testament and get so frustrated with God, you're like, God, just wipe them all out! Get they need a little pow-pow! They need a little time out. They need something to get their attention. And yet we see an excerpt of, of God's heart in the book of Hosea. If you read, if you read uh, the, this book of Hosea uh, in the Old Testament, it's all about he, he chooses this prophet to marry a woman who's going to be adulterous, who's a prostitute, really. 
And he uses this as an image to say, this is, this is how I love Israel. And in fact, in Hosea 11, verse 8, he says, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, for, nor I, will I de- devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. You know, it doesn't make sense to us, to you and I, because you and I, we like justice. We want fairness. And it's hard for us to consider maybe that God's definition of justice and fairness may be a little bit more developed and elevated than yours and I's and mine's. And he looks at them over and over again and he says, I, I love you, I love you, I forgive you, you're my people, I'm not going to destroy you because I'm not a man. I am God. And so God looks at mankind and says, you know what, these guys, they don't get it. So he sends Jesus, he comes down and, and he says, Jesus then lives amongst the people. As God in the flesh. John chapter 1 talks about that. The, the Word becomes flesh. And Jesus, throughout the Gospels, you kind of read, you kind of see Jesus interacting with different people and how he treats people and how, and, and how he talks about his relationship with God the Father. And one of my favorite chapters that I want us to kind of look at today that describes what he is really like. It's found in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. You can turn your Bibles there. You can read along here. But Luke 15 and verse 1. We see, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, so let's set the scene here. Tax collectors were some of those hated people in society. Sinners were sinners, all gathering around to hear Jesus. And these teachers of the law, these guys who are supposed to be righteous, are, not, are, 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 are criticizing Jesus for eating with sinners. I think we can understand something about Jesus. People that didn't necessarily belong around Jesus loved to be around Jesus. Isn't that cool to think about? People that should have known more about Jesus felt uncomfortable and critical of him. These guys had read the passages. They had read the Old Testament, the prophecies. They knew, they they should have known, and yet they were critical. They were passive. They were uncomfortable, jealous. But the people that didn't necessarily know or believe or belong, they loved hanging out with Jesus. And so Jesus picks this, this opportunity... He's got the Pharisees criticizing him over here. He's got these uh, tax collectors and sinners who are probably more fun people to be around anyway over here. And he's hanging out and he says, you know what? Let me, let me share with you what my father is like. I don't think you get it. And so he uses three stories. He says, he starts off with this story. He says, okay, uh, let me tell you what my dad's like. Okay, here's what he's like. There's a hundred sheep. And one of them wanders off. And, you know, 
the shepherd leaves this 99 to go down the cliff and find that one and bring it back. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And, and he goes home and then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You guys don't get it. Let me tell you another story, he says. Okay, think about this. Okay, so... so so there's a woman, she's got ten coins, she loses one of the coins, and she tears her house apart, sweeps everything up, until she finds that last coin, and she finds it, and she's so excited, because it was worth something to her. And she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice! I have found my lost coin in the same way. There was rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I mean, it's kind of funny to me. Jesus tells this story about the shepherd. And what does the shepherd do when he finds the sheep? He comes back and what do they do? Let's have a party. He finds the, the woman finds the coin. What does she do? Let's have a party. I don't know what you do when you lose something and find your you lose your iPhone and you find your iPhone. I don't call my friends over to have a party. This is the extreme that Jesus is talking about. This is, this is extreme kind of celebratory rejoicing over a little coin of some value to this woman. She sa he says, that's, that's how it is for God. When one sinner repents. That's how it is for God. And then he gets to the story that you and I, probably most people know of, and it's the prodigal son, right? He says, guys, actually, let me, let, me, let me blow it up a little bit more for you so you understand what my father is like. There's two sons and a dad. The younger son comes and asks for his inheritance, which is completely disrespectful, a spit in the face in that society, in that culture. The father doesn't argue with the son, gives it to him and lets him go. The son, at the moment that he's squandered all his wealth, is in the mud pit with the pigs, eating the pigs' food, and says, man, I want to go back home. Maybe my dad will take me if I humble myself. He comes back, and we, sit, we find the dad. What's the dad doing? He's looking. He sees the son and runs to him. Come on in. Let's have a party. And the older son, as, as the father is in the party, the older son comes out and complains. Well, I've been here the whole time. Where's my party? And the father leaves that party to go find the older son and help him understand everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate because your younger brother's back. He was lost and he's been found again. Jesus' point is, that's how God is. Many times, I think, some of us are like the sheep. We're with the flock for a bit, but we wander off and we lose ourselves. 
We used to come to church or be involved in one another relationships, but you were hurt, something didn't fit, and you wandered off, and yet God goes looking for you. Some of us are like the coin. The silver coin is of great worth, and it has someone's face on it to tell you how much it's worth. And we're like the coin, you know, made in the image of God, but hurt. We don't see our value. We don't see that we are worth that much more. And so we get lost under all the dirt of the world and the fallenness of man and sin. And here again, God is on his knees, scrubbing the floors, looking to find us and to celebrate. Because to him, you're valuable. You're worth it. You're made in his image. Some of us are like the younger son. We've been taken care of and loved, but it's not enough because we want to do things our own way. Because we know better. So God doesn't chase you. In fact, God just kind of lets you go. And figure it out. And the passage comes to real life where God in 1 Peter 5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, I bet God comes out every morning wondering if we will return. And once he sees you, he doesn't say, I told you so. For some of you, God's just waiting for you to come home. I appreciate Renee sharing today. I, I, was, I was Renee's teen leader when he first became a Christian. To hear his journey and that at one point, God just humbled him and got his attention. But in the meantime, God had let him go. Like, go figure it out, dude. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. But I'm not going to chase you anymore. You know, I look at um, Victoria. I saw Victoria Latimer here serving as an usher. I was her teen leader too. You know? And it's so cool. Like, as a teen leader, you get to see all these journeys. Some of them are very painful to watch in the process. But you just have faith. You're just like, God, God's letting them go. God's not chasing them right now. God's letting them figure it out. And when they come back, because they always do, they always end up somewhere closer to home. God runs to them. God, for some of you, is just waiting for you to come home. You've been hardened by sin. You've wanted to do things your own way. you decided that God and His way is not enough and you want to do things your own way. The sad thing is that the consequences and the scars will be devastating. But He's waiting for you to come home. Not to be judged, but to be celebrated. Some of us are like the older son. Obedient, we're following the rules, but we expect to get the party instead of just being humble and grateful. You're saying, it's not fair, but God is saying, everything I have is yours. You think following the rules is enough, but your heart is far from understanding God's heart. And so without knowing it, you look down on others, or you think you deserve better. I think this can happen to many of us who have been a Christian for a long time. We think we deserve better. We think we deserve more. Because I'm trying, I've been here, where's my party? See, God wants to throw a party. Don't you love that about God? I, kinda, I like to have a good party. 
I like to eat my little tacos de carnitas and tacos al pastor. I like my horchata and my jamaica. And I like, I like to hang out with the guys and watch a game. And I like parties. I like to get my groove on and, you know, we're going to have a marriage retreat in a few weeks and, and uh, the marriage retreat, we're going to have a little dance party at the marriage retreat that Saturday night and going to have some salsa over there. You know, I like to have a good party. Christians like to party. I love the fact that God wants to throw us a party. See, God has a plan for you. God has a story, a dream for our lives, but you and I, we mess it up with our own selfishness and sin. It's not that he allows bad things to happen or that he's uninvolved. It's that we just don't want to do life his way. Just like the Israelites. And yet he's waiting. And he's running. And he's chasing. And he's after you. And he's waiting. And he's looking. This is God. I want to show a couple of clips here. Uh, recently, Marina and I... In the past couple of years, we watched this television show called Parenthood. You guys seen Parenthood? Okay, so some great stuff in there, great story. You know, I think, I'm not too much of a crier. I almost cried in some of these episodes. I mean, this is some stuff in the family. When you have kids and you're kind of, you know, raising your kids, you kind of get involved. So anyway, uh, then we took this class called Good Enough Parenting. They showed the sequence of events, and I was like, man, this is an incredible uh, image, a little bit of an illustration of what I'm talking about here. So we're going to watch the first clip. It's kind of four, four clips. I'm going to kind of talk between each one. But um, the first clip is one of the daughters uh, just got, she got rejected from uh, attending school at uh, UC Berkeley. And so now she's trying to figure out her life, and so she's riding and drinking in the car with one of her friends. And so we'll see here. Can you guys hear out there? No, they, can you? I see some shaking heads over here. Can you guys hear? Maybe this. No, you guys can't hear back there? Is there a way to turn it up a little bit? That's okay. We can take a stack for a couple of scenes. All right. So, next scene is um, mom receives the phone call. Probably as a parent, the most dreadful phone call you could receive. All right? So, here we go.
again. Still in surgery, don't really know anything, but I guess just call me back whenever you get this. is healing. She's in the room now, on the next scene. We'll see her uh, interact with her mom and her brother, and there's still a hardness about her. She just doesn't really get it, uh, what she put her family through and what she's going through and stuff like that. So let's just watch this real quick. tension there, right, in the family. She's not really understanding what's going on. She's not really accepting responsibility. Uh, she doesn't want to talk about it. And so then uh, Grandpa comes in the mix. And Grandpa always has the right words to say, usually, right? So here, let's watch the Grandpa come in the mix. If we can get, I don't know if you guys can hear, I'm hoping that you can hear this. This is really a great illustration here.
I just want to close out with this, these thoughts here. I think if we were to view our relationship with God, God's like the grandpa. He just wants to buy us a burger. He wants to throw us a party. He wants to celebrate us. But we mess up his dream for our life. I think God would tell you, would tell us, you don't have permission to mess with my dream. You're feeling bad about yourself. Some things are not going your way. You got locked out of your house and made a bad protein shake. You didn't get that job. You didn't get that boyfriend, that girlfriend. You didn't get what you thought you should get. You don't... doesn't mean that you go off and do whatever you want to do because you don't have permission to mess with my dream for your life. God's grace is incredible. God's forgiveness is amazing. He wants to throw a party for you. He wants to buy a burger for you. But we mess it up. And so I want to call us today, just encourage us in our relationship with God and how we view Him. Don't mess with His dream. Can I show you God's grace in my life real quick? I had a bunch of other stuff I was going to talk about, but for the sake of time, we're going to skip all this stuff. You have some great stuff you can study on your own. You know, that's, my God, that's God's grace in my life. You know, I got baptized. That's Jonathan right there, baby Jay. He was born in Long Beach. Some of you guys don't know him, but he's here in Kids' Kingdom. And then that's baby Maya. She's here in the fellowship. She was trying to yell at somebody, I heard, during the lesson there. I got baptized when I was 14. I always tell this to people. Because people ask me, why did you get baptized so young? Why did you get, become a Christian so young? And I always tell people, I, I really believe because God knew my sinful nature. He knew i got to get this guy while he's young. Because if I don't get him now, if I don't get his attention now, I may lose him. Because of how prideful, how insecure, how selfish, all of those things that were in my life. I think God knew I need to get him while he's young. 
And I've gotten to live out what I feel may be God's dream for my life. To be a presenter and a, a preacher of the gospel, but to be a, a husband to my beautiful wife, Marina. To have four awesome children. Bella, eight years old. Rocky, seven years old. They were like little babies when they were here. Some of you guys remember. Jonathan, I got my son, Maya. To be able to now be entrusted with passing this faith on to the next generation of my family, I believe is God's dream for my life. I don't want to mess it up. I don't know what God's dream is for your life, but He has a dream and he has a, he has a story for you. And so for those of you today who are outside of the faith, who feel far away from God because of past hurts or awkward comments made by Christians, God is willing to leave all the flock and go find you. It's no coincidence that you're here today. Let yourself be picked up. Stop messing with God's dream for your life. He wants to throw you a party. I encourage you and I challenge you, study the Bible. Read the scriptures. Read who he really is. Learn who he truly is. And start following his way. For those of you who feel like there's so much sin in your life, that you're buried under all of the pain and consequence of your sin, and God would never forgive you, God is stooping down and sweeping up around you, ready to clean you up and throw you a party. Maybe you're stuck in a sin that you can't seem to overcome. God is sweeping up around you. His grace will teach you to live a godly life. Be humble. Ask for help. For those of you who have decided to do life your own way, God has let you go, but He's waiting for you. Stop, stop messing with your, His dream for your life. Come back home. In Him, there's no judgment. There's no condemnation. Instead, He is ready to throw you a party. Humble yourself to God's will and stop Trying to do life your way. It's not going to work. For those of you who are Christians and followers of Christ, stop thinking you deserve something. We don't deserve anything. Because the Father says, everything I have is already yours. God has blessed us and will continue to do so. Become a hard worker in the kingdom. Allow His grace to produce in you a passion to build the church and spread the gospel, to be a light in such a dark world. God wants to do a great work in your life and in through the work of the Westside Church. Stop fighting Him and let Him use you. There is so much to be done. For somebody to be up here begging you to be a kid's kingdom worker. Come on! If you really understood God's grace, sign me up! Get me going. I don't have to do a PowerPoint presentation for you to lead a small group. I don't have to get on my knees to beg you to usher. When we understand God's grace, we're going to do the work. Joyfully, wholeheartedly, passionately. Because everything He has is already ours. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us. 
set us right with him, make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already opened up his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall. And shouting our praise. We don't have permission to mess with God's dream. Let's be a people who live under and to live out His grace as He teaches and produces us within us a passion to be who we were created to be. May God bless the church. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.